Let's pray together. A most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, in the name of Christ, come and bless thy servant. Lord, fill my mouth with edifying words and graceful words, true words, words that encourage and build up the saint and words that call sinners to grace in Christ. Father, fill this place with your presence. Fill each of us, O Lord, with power to live and to adore you and love you, Lord, as we ought and should, and to love one another. Throughout the service, Lord, remind us of all that we have in Christ and let us stand in awe. And teach us, O Lord, to praise your name. Now ground us in thy word of truth, Lord, thy word is true. And let us not stray to the left or to the right, but Lord, by your powerful hand, keep us upon the path of truth, we pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Beloved, James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, hear now these last words of James. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. James has been accused, I think unrightly, of abruptly ending his letter to those dispersed Jews. However, I don't share that opinion and I believe what James is calling every Christian who reads this letter to do in the influence and empowering of the Spirit to take and examine themselves by the epistle, but in the very end, consider what kind of Christian they are. This morning, our focus is going to be on the second character of this hypothetical situation that James ends the book with. He started with the one who wanders from the truth. And I've spent two messages hoping and trying to explain how that's possible, how it happens, and hopefully we would, in Christ, fortify our lives with the truth and the means of grace so that we would not be that wanderer. The second character is the soul winner. The name is taking out of the text itself. You can see right there at the end of verse 19. He's the one who turns the sinner back from the error of his way and saves his soul from death. This is in James's mind the soul winner. That brother or sister Pastor, elder, deacon, father, mother, friend, 
who goes and retrieves an erring brother or sister or family member. I think we would be encouraged to take the two characters that James has presented to us in this scenario and compare ourselves to each one and compare them to one another. There are similarities between the wanderer and the soul winner. Now what might they be? Well, they both are members of the church of Christ. They both have made professions of faith. They both have been baptized in the name of the triune God. And they both have experienced great or at least seasons of faithfulness. Seasons where sin has been subdued and righteousness has prevailed. Where Seasons where love and joy and peace and kindness have had its flourishing, if you will. Now they have that in common. But what's the disconnection? What is it that they don't have in common? Well, the text tells us, doesn't it? One has wandered from the truth. And one remains in the truth. One has wandered away from the truth. Every Christian, brothers and sisters, experienced the liberation of the dominion of sin. Every Christian. Every Christian experiences what it is to have that burden of guilt lifted out of their own soul. Every Christian. No Christian comes to Christ and leaves that visitation carrying their guilt and sorrow. Christ takes it from them because He bore that guilt. He bore that sorrow in His own body upon that cross. And He will not allow that sinner to come and confess their sins and walk away with what He took upon Himself at that cross. He won't let you carry it. It's not yours to carry. It's His. He calls the sins of His saints His sins. They are His. The Bible tells us that it had pleased God to lay upon His Son, upon that cross, the guilt and burden of our sins. By His stripes, you have been healed. Every Christian knows of this liberty. What I mean to say by that, brothers and sisters, if you do not know of this liberty, you are not a Christian. 
If you have never known the liberation of your guilt and sorrow and misery, if you have never known the sweetness of forgiveness, if you have never known what it means to walk away clean, refreshed, you don't know Christ. You've never met Him. Never met Him. Because Christ never lets a sinner who comes to Him in the full burden and guilt of their own sorrow leave with their sins. What happens? What's the discontinuity between these two characters that James puts before our eyes this morning? It is that one continues to walk by the mercies and the grace of God. One continues to sup from the, the means of grace and depend upon the means of grace and to seek the visitation of Christ. Every time they pick up their Bible, every time they pray, they seek a visitation with the Lord Jesus. They seek to want to know Him and to hear His voice and to have sweet communion and fellowship with Him. Not perfect. Not in perfection. Not even depending upon their own repentance, knowing that every time they confess their sins, it's a wretched confession. It's, an, it's a confession that doesn't begin to touch the depth of their own agony and their own sins. But nevertheless, because they are commanded, because Christ says, come and confess your sins, come daily recognizing your wretchedness, and I will cleanse you and forgive you and continue to walk with you. They do it. They do it. They do it but not trusting in it. They don't trust in their own worship. They don't walk away with the confidence of thinking, well, I showed up for church and, well, that was good enough. I'm isolated. I'm insulated from any wrong or any horror because I've come and I've worshipped the Lord. That's, that's not what He does. That's not what she does. One grew cold In their love for God, one grew cold in their Bible reading. One grew cold in their prayer life. One grew cold in their worship. And by the decisions they made, over time, found themselves strayed from the truth. The church is not filled with super saints. There's no one here perfect. There's no one in any church perfect. And in fact, I would say the most, the strongest saint is the one who really knows the depth of their own wretchedness. The strongest Christian family is one that really understands the depth of their pride, their arrogance, and their own sin. They share some commonalities and they share some, some differences, don't they? It's important for us as we look at these words to consider the two characters presented to us. One's a wanderer and the other one's called a soul winner. One who comes to convert and to restore and to reclaim the erring sheep. This morning I want to look at the text in at least, I think, two heads. The first head is going to be the work of the soul winner. And under that head, I will 
seek to describe for you the, the work that the soul winner puts their hands to and what it costs him or her. And lastly, we're going to look at the soul winner's motivation. What stimulates the soul winner to do what he does or her? What stimulates them to make the sacrifices that they need to make? What is, what is it that motivates the soul winner to go after an erring brother or sister? Well, let's look at the work. Notice how James presents to us the soul winner. In verse 19, he is described as the one who turns the erring brother or sister back. The one who goes and turns them back. Now it's important to recognize that what is happening here is something very inconvenient in and of itself. It cannot ever be convenient to go and retrieve an erring sheep, can it? Obviously, the picture is that of the, the, the brother and sister who is, as Paul calls them, spiritual in Galatians 6. We might look at that text later. Calling the one who is spiritual to come and restore such a one who has fallen... It means that they have to lay aside those things that they are doing, possibly for themselves, their own family, and for the body of Christ in general. And now they focus and have to give their attention to the straying sheep. Richard Baxter said something that I've never forgotten. And in fact, I was... Surprised, and I guess I was surprised of the comment he made because we are not as open and frank and honest in our own day and time. We, we, we tend to lie. We tend to not tell the truth. Not even to our wives or husbands. And we shade everything. We want to make everything nice and pretty and neat. And we want to sanitize and sterilize everything. I mean, maybe it's part of the Southern culture and the wretchedness, I think the putridness of Southern culture that just seeks to gloss over what is really nasty and ugly. And we call it manners. But he said this, he, he, he makes a comment in his book, The Reformed Pastor, he said, and he was talking to parents, and he said, you know, in the book he's addressing the pastor, and he's encouraging the pastor to address the parents, and he said this, he said, make sure you help the parents understand this. If they don't do their job, if they don't do what they are called to do by God in parenting their own children, it will lay a tremendous burden upon you, Pastor, to do it. Now there's a connection here to be made. Whenever there is responsibility neglected or given up, 
Who picks it up? Who picks it up? If the parents are not going to educate and teach and instruct and admonish and encourage their own children, that makes the pastor's job more difficult because not only does he have the broader church to deal with, now he has particular children that must be attended to. And by and large, the church body suffers because the pastor is no longer able to give his strength to other good things because he is having to pick up the slack of the neglected duties of the parents. Now, we wouldn't hardly say that in our day and time, I don't think. We would, be, we would, we would see that as rude. We wouldn't, even the pastor would be considered as overstepping his boundaries. Stepping beyond what he's called to do to make such a comment. Who are you, pastor? Now, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but nevertheless, what has happened to this soul winner is that he must now or she must now. Listen, we see in the Bible, who's the soul winner? Well, we read John 10. Who's the... Shepherd of the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Ezekiel 34 is an Old Testament passage where Jesus rebukes and confronts the priesthood of the Old Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament. And He says, you shepherds have allowed my sheep to go astray and I blame you for it. You've not sought the best interest of the sheep. You fed yourselves. You have become fat upon what belongs to the sheep. And he says, I will go after my sheep. You've, you've scattered them. and I will go after them. And I will tend to their wounds. You haven't tended to their wounds. I will, I will bind them up. You haven't bound up their broken legs. I will feed them. You haven't fed my sheep. Well, you know Jesus is the shepherd. But we also know that pastors are called under shepherds and they too have a, a role and responsibility to, to tend to Christ's sheep and to go after them and to love them and to encourage them. And he does this by the preaching of the gospel. That, that's what I think James is speaking of here when he says, the one who strays from the truth. What is this truth? Well, it can be nothing other than that gospel truth found in Jesus Christ. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to Romans 1. Romans 1. I want, to, I want to demonstrate for you this morning this depth and breadth of truth, this gospel as James, or the, the gospel as Paul calls it, and the truth as James refers to it. Now I want to read the first several verses of the opening of the chapter. Follow along with me in your Bibles. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, 
called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. What do we see there in that first verse? We see that the gospel is something that the Paul as an apostle, but also a shepherd was set apart for. He was set apart to it for the purpose of teaching it, preaching it, and upholding it. Now look at verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through his apostles, where? In the Holy Scriptures. Where do we find the Gospel? Where do we find truth? In the Scriptures. Concerning his Son who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake, among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Christ for all, for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers making requests. If perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And let me keep reading. Look down at verse 10. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. My point being in reading that large portion of God's Word is to show us that the Gospel is not just simply a, a, the, a, a, a single message of repent of your sins. The Gospel is the whole plethora of teaching of God's Word that we come to embrace as the gospel, because we have now have a relationship with Christ. In Christ, we now embrace the whole word of God as the gospel of Jesus Christ. The soul winner must go after the erring brother or sister the erring brother or sister can err in doctrine, adopting ideas, adopting or changing the Word of God for lies. Take the time, maybe today, and go through and look up the word astray. And look how many different ways that believers can go astray. 
They can go astray through their own lusts and desires. Their desires can pull them away from the truth. They can go astray through the lies of of false prophets and false teachers. They can go astray through hard times and harsh conditions because they they are, are flustered and confused about why God would allow such things to happen to them. They may go astray, brother, in doctrine. And they may even go astray because the flesh is so strong and they desire to want to do certain things that they change their doctrine. Well, God would, at one point they thought, well, God would forbid this, but now God will allow it. So I change God's. I change who God is to make it right, to make it acceptable, to try to alleviate my guilt. You can go astray in practice. Nevertheless, they are gone astray. And the soul winner is one who must go. He must go. You have to go. The wanderer has strayed. Matthew 18 teaches us of the shepherd who leaves the 99. And what does he do? He goes and retrieves the one. Look at the inconvenience. He can't shepherd the 99. He has to lead the 99. And he has to go retrieve the one. As we look at this work of the soul winner, beloved, this, what I'm trying to point out to you is that it will be a work of inconvenience. You're going to have to put aside your, your common labors and activities and you're going to have to make a plan and a purpose to go after the one who is strayed. Maybe it's the pastor. Maybe, maybe, as James says, if any among you stray from the truth and one... Who's the one? Any one of you. Any one of you who has the desire, the love, the mercy, the compassion, and the willingness to put down your common efforts and go in, in, in all of its inconveniences, go and retrieve the erring brother and sister. Maybe it's a son and daughter. Maybe it's a father and mother. Maybe it's a pastor. But it's someone who must be sought after. And if we're going to compare ourselves to each one of these, if we're going to look and and we're going to ask ourselves, listen, what in the world would I be described as a soul winner? What is it that I am willing to give up? What sacrifices I'm going to have to make in order to be a soul winner? But I'm not willing to make those sacrifices. I'm not willing to do those things. In fact, I may fit more into the category of needing help myself. I'm not a strong Christian. I require a lot of attention. I require a lot of effort because I have neglected my own responsibilities. I take up a lot of prayer time. Because I just struggle doing consistently the right things. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, let the one who is wounded, let the ones who has the dangling arms and the feeble knees, look the one who is, who is weak and, and wretched by the chastisement of the Lord and their own sins. He says, let that one strengthen himself. 
Make the effort to strengthen your own feeble hands, your own feeble arms, your own feeble knees. Make the effort yourself. But if not, don't be surprised if the stronger sheep come after you. The inconvenience and the sacrifice is obvious. It's never convenient to go after someone. It's never convenient. It's never fun. I use that word. It's, I, I don't know exactly why that's such a, a word used today because we're so fixated upon fun. Have fun. If it's not fun, it's not good. It's not fun, but it is good. James not only says he's the one who has to go, he has to turn him back. I mean, he's wandered off. You have to go get them. They don't just come to you and say, rescue me. They have to be retrieved. They have to be sought after. You have to make an effort. You may have to sacrifice something. You may have to spend some money. You may have to forego some money. But that's the soul winner. Look at the text and, and, and maybe you can see this work as it's glorious. It's a good work. It's, it's the work that the Holy Spirit in Christ has ordained before the foundation of the world. It's work that we ought to put our hands to. And beloved, it's something that we ought to be willing to do because our Lord is willing to do it. And He calls us to be like Him. And we want to be Christ-like if we truly know Him and we truly love Him and we see Him as blessed above all things. In verse 20 says, let him know that, the, that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. It's the soul winner. In fact, the motivation and the good work here is, as the King James puts it, as it struggled with the word to use, he's, he's called one who converts the sinner. Now we know that we can't convert hearts, really. But look what James says. He's called the Savior. She's called the Savior. And we use this terminology today. I mean, think about the uh, uh, emergency responders. Oftentimes, they are called saviors. You find a ship out in the Gulf that's sinking and, and you call the Coast Guard and they go and maybe it's a perilous situation and they put their own lives in danger and they go and they lay their lives down, do they not, to go rescue those people stranded out there in the middle of the ocean. And what is the testimony of so many that have been rescued? They are our saviors. They saved us. That's the picture here. The picture is the one who goes and actually finds success in turning back the sinner from the error of his way. And he says, oh, he's my Savior. He came after me. I couldn't see my own wretchedness. I couldn't see the cliff, but he saw it. She saw it. I was reminded of the story, and I think it's Eusebius, but don't hold me to it. And well, forgive me if I don't get every detail right, but I will get the majority of the story right. But there is a story that I, story that I believe Eusebius tells of the Apostle John. John had a, a young man as, that Christ converted up under his ministry and for a season was thriving under the teaching of, of the Apostle John. And John had to go away. 
And John had to take care of ministry business. And while he was away, this young man fell back into old habits and he fell back in with some ruffians, some thieves and robbers, if you will. And, and John comes back and he asks where the young man is. And, and they all said, well, John, sorry, but you know he's, he's apostatized and he's gone. John went after him. John put his own life on hold. He put his own ministry on hold and he put his life in God's hands because he went up into those hills that was occupied and inhabited by robs and thieves and murderers. And he went after that young man and found him in that camp of ruffians and he went to him and he put his arms around him and he says, God has not called you to this. God has called you to so much more. And you're coming with me. And you're going to repent of this apostasy. And you're going to be restored back to the service of your Savior. And he brought him home. Where would that man be if John hadn't have done that? John hadn't loved that man with the love of Christ, where would he have been? It requires sacrifice and effort and work. I don't want to paint the picture that all you have to do is go after somebody one time and you win them, brothers and sisters. It may take many times. It may take a season. But the question will, is for us, are we committed to being a soul winner or not? Now let's look, I think, at the motivation. I certainly can't spend any more time describing this work of Savior, but you can see it there. Now what's his motivation? Well, I've already mentioned a tad bit of the motivation. The, the motivation is the restoration and return of the sinner. It's motivating to the soul winner that he go after, she go after the erring brother or sister so that they might be restored. Restored to what? The truth, the gospel as it is in Christ. Not personal preferences. Okay? Not your personal preferences. Win people back to your traditions to the gospel the truth he saves the soul from death he's motivated in the restoration of this erring brother or sister I mean you must think about it brothers and sisters how much guilt does the church bear when we look at those who apostatize and say oh well Good riddance. They were irksome anyway. The motivation is found in that they are able because of God's grace and God's mercy and persevering grace to the elect. They know that there is not anyone, all that Christ has saved will be saved. And, and, and the sheep hear the voice of Christ. That's why I read John 10 this morning. 
It's not that we have the power to change hearts and to, and to use our skill and argumentation to change minds. It's that God in His grace and mercy, He hears the voice of Christ in the, in the soul winner and He turns the sinner back from the error of His way. And He says, Oh, my sheep hear my voice and they come. He's motivated because he knows the power of God in Christ and he knows that Christ will not lose one sheep and that Christ goes after the sheep. And he is confident, she's confident, I can go after my brother and sister because I know Christ wants them to return. Christ doesn't want His sheep out here in these unfamiliar pastures. He doesn't want His sheep out there wandering around alone where wolves can get them and all of the wild beasts can tear them apart. He wants the sheep to be back in the fold. To back in the safety net of the shepherd and the staff of the shepherd. He wants the sheep to be among the other sheep. What a safety. It's safe. Where there's clean water. Where there's clean food. Where there's communion and camaraderie. Where there's preaching of the gospel. Where there's a a consensus of leaning upon Christ together. Another motivation is not only the restoration of the erring brother or sister, brothers and sisters, but notice that last phrase, and will cover a multitude of sins. What does this mean? Well, I, I think this is the only thing it can mean. I may be wrong and I may be off, but I think this is it. Because there are other passages of Scriptures that talk about when one begins to sin, When one begins down this road of coldness, making decisions that take them away from Christ and the means of grace and the safe pastures, if you will. Once we begin down this road, then each and every one of these decisions not only lend itself to sin, but more sin and different kinds of sin, but it's also an encouragement for others to sin. So not only does the erring brothers and sisters' sins increase as they grow colder and colder and colder, but they encourage other weak Christians to sin too. Well, so-and-so's doing it. Well, she's doing it. Well, he's doing it. Well, that family's doing it. Why can't we do it? And yes, that's exactly, I believe, what he's meaning here. He says, listen, he saves a soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. The Savior, the the soul winner, goes out and retrieves the erring sheep and he saves many from the multitude of sin. Brothers and sisters, I don't know. I, I, I don't see heaven as a place where there is sadness. But would it be sad if we could stand in heaven and the Lord rolled the film of our life and He says, do you see how your life led these people astray? Do you see how these decisions you made that you thought were just you? You thought it affected just yourself and 
Look at the effect it had upon others. I think we'd all be sad. The confidence that the soul winner has, brothers and sisters, is the great shepherd tends to the sheep and they hear his voice. Certainly not in their own strength. But anyway, let's address a little bit of application. As we close the letter, as we address the hypothetical scenario that James ends the letter with, Which one describes you best? The wanderer or the soul winner? Maybe not full-blown wandering, but steps. Which, Which one do you identify more with? The wanderer? Are the sacrificing soul winner. Let's look at another passage as we close this morning and think about what we're talking about. Go to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, I believe, is the text that the Lord Jesus had in mind when He said those words in John 10. And I think it would help us to see that not only does Jesus rebuke the shepherds and the priests and the prophets for not tending to Christ's sheep and abusing Christ's sheep and allowing the sheep to wander off into dangerous places. But, but He also has a word for the sheep themselves. Look at verse 17 of Ezekiel 34. As for you, my flock... Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. Is it too slight a thing for you that you should feed in the good pastures, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pastures, or that you should drink the clear waters, and you must foul the rest with your feet? As for my flock, they must eat what you tread down with your feet and drink what you foul with your feet. Therefore, says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with the side and with your shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will deliver my flock, and they will no longer be prey. I will judge between one sheep and another. And then verse 23 and 24 is a blessed promise of the the David, Jesus being the son of David, being the true and chief shepherd. He says, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself. We're about to feast upon the Lord in the Lord's Supper and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. And I, the Lord, have spoken. I want to stop there. I want to close with that thought.
Have we trampled the good pastures that others can't feed? Have we muddied the waters and made it undrinkable for the other sheep? Now, how do you do that? Well, brothers and sisters, I do believe that this is what James is talking about here. You, can, you can't be neutral in this work of the gospel. If you're not a soul winner and you're not willing to sacrifice yourself and your stuff to go and retrieve one of Christ's precious sheep, are you not the fat sheep? You don't care about the lean sheep. You don't care about the sheep Christ died for. Because all you think about is yourself. And may the Lord show us the way. And may he bless his gospel truth to us all. Let's pray.